0: A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. When my parents had their kids, they sought to bring meaning and connection to each one of their names. My older sister is named Marie Jean. Marie was a shortened version of my mom's name Margaret, and Jean, a shortened version of her mom's name, Jeanette. My younger sister's name is Betsy Lynn. She was named Betsy after a woman who had attended my mom's church while she was growing up. My mom's dad was a pastor and she grew very close to different people in the church. Betsy and Nettie were two of them. They were sisters who came from Norway. They worked at the church caring for the flowers on the exterior and cleaning the interior as well. They were servant women. They were considered women of prayer. They prayed often with and for the people of the church. Lynn, my sister's middle name, was after my mom's cousin. My brother's full name is Harold Robert III. He was clearly named after my dad. Family legend, which has been fact-checked, I'll say, (laughs) tells the following story. My mom wanted to name him Harold Robert because she loved my dad and loved his dad, who was the original. However, my dad thought cheering for a Harold while at the sidelines of sporting events would seem weird. He said the name had already come and gone, so he was lobbying for a different name. He was lobbying for Gustav Rom. Gustav because it was strong-sounding and Scandinavian, and Rom because that was my mom's maiden name. My mom went into labor, and they still hadn't come to an agreement. And so, we were told, on the way to the hospital, they reached a workable compromise. My dad said, okay, you can name him whatever you'd like, but we will call him Gus. And that's how it went down. The only one who refused to call him Gus was my dad's mom, who called him Little Harold right up until she passed away. It was interesting hearing the stories of my siblings' names. It was fun knowing they were named after specific people and meeting those people. My name, as a kid, felt less exciting to me. My name, Kirsten Joy, means Kirsten, follower of Christ, and Joy, well, that's self-explanatory. I didn't hate the origin of my name. I just thought it'd be cool to know another person who had my name too. The fact that people hadn't heard my name much and the fact that I didn't know anybody else with it just added to the confusion when it was always mispronounced or misspelled. They'd say Kristen or Kirsten most often, sometimes Christine or today at the coffee shop, it was Christina, Christina. They kept calling, telling me my beverage was ready, but I just didn't recognize it right away. That was a little bit, little off, a little too off there. Once, while we were on a family vacation, my dad told me if I mixed the letters around in my name, I could spell stinker. I was pretty sure that was more a coincidence than a reason they spell my name that way, but I wasn't exactly sure. I'm just saying, if I had a dime for every time I said, it's actually Kirsten, rhymes with her, cur, K-I-R-S-T-E-N, but whatever. As, as an older adult, as an adult woman, I had four kids, just quick aside here, we were visiting, we were at a church, and a grown up, a man, came up to me and said, Instead of calling you Kirsten, are you okay if I call you Blessed? Because Christ came to replace curses with blessings. I was like, No, my name actually means follower of Christ. So if you take that out, no, it changes the meaning. So maybe not. He said, Oh, I'm sorry. I was just joking. I told him, Yep, yeah, no problem. I'm just not laughing. But that's kind of an aside. And this whole thing is kind of a long intro to what I just really wanted to share with you this week. Here's what the deal is. This past Easter morning, I had a thought while I was playing the piano at church. It flew past my mind once during our rehearsal and then reappeared partway through the service and then never left. I got to my seat and I wrote it down in my bulletin and I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'll tell you what it was in a second. But first, I just want to set the scene a bit. I love Easter weekend. I love Good Friday and attending the Good Friday service. When we take the time to pause and think of all that Christ has done for us, to sit in the sadness and sacrifice and bask in its beauty. I love that. Jesus, according to Philippians 2, 5, being in very nature God, he was fully God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but "...made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Jesus was fully God as he walked on earth, but he was also fully man and he didn't hold on to his Godness. God came down and he took on human likeness. He looked like, acted like Jesus looked like, acted like lived like, and was fully man. He could laugh and cry. He had to eat and drink and sleep. When he came, He didn't come to rule as an earthly king or fight like a mighty man. He came humbly to live his life doing exactly what God sent him to do, which included serving the needs of all who were around him. He healed eyes and ears and hands and and feet. He fed thousands. He washed feet. He calmed the sea. He raised the dead. He confronted the religious establishment and sought out the outcast and the oppressed. And all the while he was doing good, the good his father sent him to do, the good that God himself set him out to do, he was misunderstood. He was falsely accused. And eventually, as this verse tells us, he was put to death. Make no mistake, evil didn't take his life, his goodness gave it up for us. Jesus submitted to his father's will and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. It is that death the one Jesus died for us, that we celebrate on Friday. That's his good Friday, the sacrifice once for all. And then Saturday comes on Easter weekend, and it's a weird day. It's the day we're not really actively celebrating his death, and yet we're not really ready to celebrate the victory. It's Silent Saturday. And while we may think it's a little weird now, think of it back then, without the spoiler alert, without the, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming, sermon without the understanding of the risen Savior who's in the world today, without the white cloth draped at the cross in the front of the church and lilies in the foyer. Think of that first Saturday when those who knew and loved Jesus when he walked the earth were now deeply saddened by their loss and still reeling with the, this isn't fair. Or did you hear that they let Barabbas go free? And the why did they have to spit on him? What jerks. And Pilate. Oh my gosh, what a schmendrick. I'm sure in the midst of their anger, they'd stop and ask each other, did he talk about this? I vaguely remember him saying something about it, but I never really understood it. I And I actually struggled sometimes figuring out what was literal and what was parable. Were we wrong to think he was the Messiah? I don't think so, but he's dead now. So I don't know. Clearly, I'm only guessing at some of their thoughts. I'm just saying that that first Saturday was way harder than any subsequent ones. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that there was some anger and some grief and some questions. There was a death after all, and death sometimes gives life to grief and to questions. I think also on that silent Saturday, That first silent Saturday of those who opposed Jesus while he lived on earth. Those who found him offensive as he walked and taught about the importance of loving God and loving others. What nerve these people thought. Who does he think he is? I think of those whom Jesus admonished that were so caught up in obeying the letter of the law that they forgot the spirit in which it was given. Those who thought they had won when Jesus was laid in the tomb and were basking in their power and looking forward to a return to normalcy after this teacher who came and said so many radical things was finally quieted. But Saturday ended and then everything changed. Sunday dawned. There was no more silence. Instead, there was bursting forth from the grave. We're told in Matthew, there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Then the angel looked and said to the women who were there, Don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just like he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he's risen from the dead. That day changed everything. And every year now on Easter, we sing about it. We pack our churches. We join our voices with Christians everywhere and acknowledge what someday everyone must acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. We know from Scripture that after Jesus' resurrection and return to heaven, according to Philippians 2, 9 and 10, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ the Lord. His name is above Every name and he knows my name and he knows yours. He pronounces it correctly. He whispers it. He calls it out. He speaks it with great passion and complete understanding. It was this thought that I had in the midst of playing piano for our Easter service, listening to the congregation sing, hearing the reading of scripture by a worship pastor. I thought the one with the beautiful name knows my name. And I started to cry and I want to explain to you why early in the service. We sang glorious day by Christian Stanfield. The lyrics go like this. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing, but not alive. All my failures. I tried to hide. That was my tomb till I met you. You, you called my name. Then I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness into your glorious day. Now your mercy has saved my soul. Now your freedom is all that I know. The old made new Jesus when I met you. What a day out of the darkness into your glorious day. I needed rescue. My sin was heavy but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan, but you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love, it's the air that I'm breathing. I have a future. My eyes are open because when you called my name, I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. It's true. I was sinful, broken, dead. But when my name was called by Jesus, I came to life. I was ashamed, afraid, and estranged. But when he called my name, I ran out of that grave. And now, because of the cross and the resurrection, and because I have been called by God, I can thank the Lord for rescuing me out of darkness and bringing me into his marvelous light. I can be grateful that, as we read in Psalm 139, that God created my inmost being, that he knit me together in my mother's womb. I can praise him because I've been fearfully and wonderfully made. I can acknowledge that his works are wonderful, and I can know for a fact that my frame was not hidden from him when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. God saw My unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in his book before one of them came to be. God not only knows my name now, and call me by that name. He knew me before my parents did. He knew what they would name me. He knew people would mispronounce it and that I wouldn't come to appreciate it until I was older. And what I know now with every fiber of my being is that the one who needed to know my name and pronounce it correctly would do just that. And just like Lazarus heard his name and came forth physically from the dead when Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, I too... Would one day and have heard my Savior call and was rescued from spiritual death. He knows my name, and that is significant. And you know what else is? I know his Romans ten thirteen says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He has called me by name, and I have called his to save me. What does that mean to call in his name? What name do we use? God, Jesus. Prince of Peace, Almighty, or maybe we go Hebrew, El Shaddai, El El Yon, Yahweh. He has so many names, sort of like our cat, but also exactly not like our cat. We got a kitten last fall. I was speaking at a camp in September, and they were giving away kittens. My husband loves cats. We didn't have one. They were litter trained and adorable, and I knew he would be thrilled if I came home with one. And he was. We all were. Oh, this tiny little adorable kitten. Family members took turns coming over to meet the new kitty. Our granddaughter, Juliet, named her Violet. We thought that was adorable. We thought if we shortened it to Vi and paired it with our last name of King, we'd have a little Vi-King. Oh. And as a huge Minnesota Vikings fan, it was fall. I thought that'd be perfect. But when we took the kitten in for her shots, we found out that Violet wasn't a her. She was a he, and Violet just didn't seem to fit anymore. We needed a new name. And we also knew that Julio would be pretty disappointed since she named her the first time. So we decided to include her in the process. So we picked her up after school one day, took her to a coffee shop, and she began writing a list of new cat names. I immediately suggested Victor or Victory. She wrote them down, but shook her head and kind of wrinkled up her nose while doing so. Like, mm, I don't think so. I didn't have much hope. She suggested, on the other hand, Bob and Blob and Skip and Slops. We forced to smile and watched her write them down very seriously. We continued to smile. She wrote down Nico and then some of her friends' names. In the end, she decided Skip was her favorite. So we tried that out for a while. Come here, Skip. Here, Skip. Oh, little Skip. Look at cute Skip. But every time we said it, I felt like I was looking for a puppy. It just wasn't sticking. It sounded like a dog's name. And so when we all gathered for dinner again at one point, we brainstormed. While well, the cat, formerly known as Violet, was being passed from person to person for inspiration. Nico resurfaced. So did a few other names. I lobbied again for Victor. Juliet said, Oh, but Vicky sounds like a girl's name, and I think that would be its nickname. I realized she made a pretty good point. We passed around the paper with all the names listed and we each had a vote. Kenny and I got two, it was our cat, after all. And when all was said was and done, our cat was named Pizza. Why, you might ask? Because everybody loves pizza. Pizza is a collar with little pizzas on it. We sometimes shorten it to Pete. But as Juliet has noted, that doesn't matter because Pete still sounds like a boy. And he seems to like it. He comes when we call him, anyway. With our cat, we picked a name based on preference and the democratic process. With God, it's far different. His name is who he is. What we call him is a reflection of his character, which is why when we read in Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are saved. It makes sense. We can run to a name because we run to who God is. Who is God? He is the one with the beautiful name. The one we will hear more about next week in the one with a beautiful name, knows my name, part two.